Yes, Lord. You're a miracle walking God. You're great. You do miracles so great. Lord, and in every one of our lives, you have done an awesome miracle. That each one of you that could be called your sons and daughters is only your miracle of mercy and grace. And this evening, O Lord, we just, Father, abandon ourselves to your mercy and to your grace. Even the speaking and the preaching of the word, let it be a miracle of your grace and your mercy. That you visit your people at the most appropriate time and you give them a word in season. as A word that will encourage, exhort, rebuke, chastise, correct and speak of your love and of your mercy into our lives. That word, O oh Father, is a work of miracle, O oh Lord. And that you choose fallen earthen vessels like us is our privilege, O oh Lord, that we carry this glory in earthen vessels. And as your apostle said, O oh Lord, that the surpassing mercies of God can be shown through us, that we should not glory in ourselves, but in God who causes the dead to rise. O oh Lord, this evening, O oh Lord, I pray, Lord, you would quicken areas which have been dead, O oh Lord, by your word. Speak your word. Let your word go forth, O oh Lord, and bring life, O oh Lord. Bring us, Lord Father, back to yourself. And therefore, anoint, O oh Lord, each one of us, even as I speak, and even us, all of us here, let us all be attentive to what you have to say to us in this last hour of time. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. All of the young children are back and also Pastor James is back. And so today we'll just uh, continue to uh, study on what we've been looking at in our church for the past several weeks. And I'll look at the first portion I want to look at is in First Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times or in the last days, some will depart from the faith. I want to look at that, departing. That's what I want to look at today, departing from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, when we look at this, you know, don't ever think that I will not be among them. Um, if you read through the Bible and if you look at a portion in Ezekiel, I don't want to turn there. It says, when a righteous man if he sins, all the righteousness that he has done till that time will not be counted against him. He will surely die in his sin. But if the wicked man, if he repents, all the wickedness that he has done will, will not be counted against him and he will be considered righteous. That is God's ways. And therefore, even as we are progressing in our sanctification and our holiness, never ever come to a point in our life where we think that we cannot fall. We can never fall. No. I mean, we may not say it, but our attitude might be one of that kind. And therefore, we should try to see, uh, I mean, from scripture, if we have that attitude, to see how we can be identify those characteristics of uh, being at the threshold of falling away. Because it, it and, and by the way, you know it, to build a life of character, it takes a lot of time. But to fall, is so easy. 
You can be on a high this day and within by evening you can you, you can fall. So all of us are prone to that. And that is the reason why the uh, Paul tell, tells to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, uh, take heed lest anyone thinks that he will not fall, he will fall. Okay, so we need to understand, some will depart from the faith. It's a very interesting word, epistemai, that is, they will not become faithful, they will not be faithful people. What is that? Let's see another portion in the, from scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Okay, a lot of people will just fall away. I mean, to fall away, you should be standing. You know, we looked at that in several uh, contexts in our church, in different, different messages. To fa- that falling away will come first, and the man of sin is revealed, and the son, the, the son of perdition. Now, what is this falling away? You know, let's look at a few other translations to get a spectrum of thought that is being that is trying to be uh, that is uh, that is being conveyed over here. Uh, the fa- the word falling away comes from the word apostasia, apostasy. Apostasia. A very, it's got a very deep meaning. And if you look at some translations, they'll try to render it in different ways. Uh, this is the NIV. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until rebellion occurs. Meaning, falling away is equivalent to rebellion. So what kind of a rebellion is this? Is this a rebellion of parents against children? Church members against elders? Is that how you look at it? Because it's rebellion. You can, you, you, whenever you think about about a rebel, uh, you'll will, you'll have on Sheikh Ubaira all the time, right? I mean, I I remember sometime we had sometime back in Triple we had a, a robotics camp, and the title of the camp, theme of the camp was revolution, and we had Sheikh Ubaira with uh, uh, with a robotics face. No, what is that? Is that the thing that you, that comes to your mind? Rebellion. Another another translation. No, look at what it says. Don't be fooled for what. By what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. So you have apostasy means falling away, is what some translations call it. Some translations call it rebellion. And some other translations will call great rebellion against God. You know, one of the things that I found when I study scripture, in most of the times when we look at our languages, what they tend, tend to do is that they tend to kind of placate the intensity of a particular word, the meaning that it's trying to convey. You see? Now, we all do it in different ways in our own in our own lives, right? Uh, did you sin? No, I just made a mistake. I mean, sin and mistake. Mistake has got a little less intensity, but sin has got a greater intensity. Um, uh, did you rebel? No, no, no. I, was just, I just got angry, you know? So, angry and rebellion. So, rebellion is more intense. Angry or oh, anger is okay. So, when you look at apostasy, rebellion, kind of okay. Uh, falling away kind of okay, great rebellion still not to the point and, and therefore we need to try to dig in to see what it actually conveys in its totality. So you just go to the concordance and one of the things you can do is just go to concordance and see where all it occurs in the Bible to get a meaning, to get, an, uh, to get a complete picture as to what that particular word means. And therefore you'll see 
In Acts chapter 21, verse 21, and this is when Paul comes to Jerusalem and he goes to the church and he gives them a report and there is a fantastic, you know, uh, what do you call, uh, reception for Paul. They all are happy the way God is using Paul to speak to the Gentiles. But many Jewish people have had some misconceptions about his ministry and this is what they say about Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 21, verse 21. But they have been informed about you, about Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake the word, same word apostasia, to forsake. And again, you see the word forsake doesn't really convey the totality of the meaning, right? Forsake meaning, okay, I forsook him and I just went my own way. What is apostasy? That is something which you want to look at. And it's so very important for us to understand the true, complete picture of the word apostasy. And we will look at this in a very, very strange context. But I think that is the true context. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. Fantastic verse. This is what it says. Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of apostasia. That's the word. Let's see. What is apostasy? It's divorcing. And why did God allowed the divorce to happen in the marriage. He gives the reason for the next in the next verse. But I say to you that whoever divorces or apostatizes his wife for any other reason except sexual immorality or unfaithfulness in the marriage commits adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is apostatized commits adultery. That is the true meaning of the word apostasy, where you have been. Having this ongoing relationship with the Lord, in a, like in a marriage, and slowly you're fooling around with several different lovers, albeit under the knowledge of your husband, and you come before your husband and act, act as if nothing is, <laughs> everything is okay. What has happened to you is that you have apostatized your Husband, do you see the intensity of the meaning? I mean, when you, when somebody, uh, the wife rebelled against the husband. Oh, maybe she got upset, etc. And, you know, threw a stone at him, maybe. Uh, that is uh, quite understandable. But the intensity, but the, you will not say, you know, that the wife has been unfaithful to her husband when he, she, when he gets a, uh, you don't say that. This fellow might have done something to instigate her. Okay. But if the wife on the other hand, has been fooling around and then comes to the husband and acts as if everything is okay. And then she says, accept me. God says, you don't understand my relationship with you. You don't understand it. That is the reason why you need to look at scripture. See? Hmm. Now that I got your attention, Look at what it says in one of the verses in the Bible, James, James chapter 4, verse 4 onwards. Adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> it's, it's so intense, you see. Do you not know that friendship with the world is 
enmity against God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously? Now think, let, let me ask you this question. Where does scripture say, where, which verse is he quoting from when he actually is quoting and saying, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously as the scripture says. Where is it found? Let me tell you. It is, there is not one particular verse. You know what James is doing? He's summarizing the entire Old Testament and he's putting one statement of the entire Old Testament and saying, you know what the Old Testament says? If you have any other gods other than God, I will visit the iniquity of your fathers to the third and fourth generation because the Lord your God is a jealous God. If you have any other affections toward any other person or any other thing apart from me, even if you have an inkling of that, I'm jealous. Maybe we never had this picture of God, did we? See? You know, it's like, it's like this in a relationship. Even if, I mean, even if, even if the husband is talking about some other person in his, you know, some other friend and then, and you know, discussing, you know, very random arbit environment and just makes a comment about that person, if he's the, from the opposite sex. Why did you mention that person? Will be the question asked by the wife. And it should be asked. And you say, when you, that mention, that the name of the person came, something happened to your face, there were some kind of a convolutions and some contours have changed, you kind of blushed. Why did you do that? Should be allowed in a marriage. Because all the affections of the husband is only for her. And all the affections of the wife is only for him. You see? That is the reason why apostasy has got a much more intense meaning. It is just not rebelling against God. It is like breaking that bond that you have with God and breaking it, just tearing it apart. And psychologists say that the most traumatic experience that any man or a woman can go through is the experience when relationships break down, especially the marriage relationships. It's a traumatic experience. So you'll see that through the Bible, I mean, especially through the prophetic scriptures, you will see the one message that keeps coming over and over again to the, to the people of God is, boss, you're fooling around. You're fooling around. You don't love me the way that you, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm supposed to be loved. See? Find this in one of the very interesting passages in the Bible. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse uh, 1 onwards. And it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before him. Like, you know, you're all sitting before God. Just imagine that picture. They all came to inquire before the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them. What should you say to them? Thus says the Lord, God, have you come to inquire of me as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired by you. Please don't ask me anything. And, and the leaders are asking, why? Will you, ju-? and then, and, 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 uh, Ezekiel is getting this, uh, uh, this, this revelation from God and you see, God is crying out, you know, will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. 
Say to them, thus says the Lord God, on that, on the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them, where? Where? In the land of Egypt. I raised my hand in an oath to them saying, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I made a vow, I made a covenant. I am the Lord your God. And then, on that day, I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to them, each of you, where, where is he telling this? Outside Egypt or inside Egypt? Okay, notice this. It's not outside Egypt. It's inside Egypt. This is what he's telling them. I mean, this is not there in the in the Pentateuch or the, in the first five books of Moses. This is where Ezekiel is having this special revelation of the visitation of God to the people of Israel in Egypt. Okay? Then I said to them, each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, but they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them. Where? In the midst of the land of Egypt. That means, in a very fantastic way, God visited them and spoke to them and said, forsake all your idolatry, otherwise I'll pour out my fury on you right in the middle of the land of Egypt. Then what happened? But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were in whose sight I made myself known to them, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, I made them go out of the land of Egypt. You see that? I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. So, God visited them in the land of Egypt, said, please take away your idolatry, otherwise I'm going to consume you. They did not listen, but for his own name's sake, he did not punish them. But then you know what he did? He brought them out of the land of Egypt and then he brought them to the wilderness. What did he he do in the wilderness? The next verse. And I gave them my statutes and judgments. Where did they give them? Ten commandments on the mountain. Which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You know, that is the reason why we gather every Sunday, especially we set apart three hours of our day to come to church, what is a day of Sabbath? Essentially a day we are being set apart for the Lord and even as we hear the word of God and even as we worship God, what what is happening to us, technically it should happen to us, that we are being set apart, sanctified by the word of God. That is the reason why it says, we sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. So it's being set apart. But what did they do? Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in the statutes. They despise my judgments, if which, if which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the, in the wilderness to consume them. And this keeps on happening over and over. Right inside Egypt, in the wilderness, they go into the promised land until the time they are kicked out of the land of, uh, of promise into the, into what we call as the, uh, yeah, into exile. They always had this inclination toward idolatry, rebellion or apostasy. And you'll see that the moment they came out of Egypt and they went to the promised land, I mean to the to, the, to Mount Sinai and Moses went on to, onto the top of the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, you'll see immediately the spirit of apostasy comes into action. 
I want to look at that. And I want to check my heart to see if I have these characteristics of an apostate, of a potential apostate. Okay, so I will title this message as characteristic of a potential apostate. How to identify one? Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 onwards. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed, ah, I love that. Coming down from mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For for as for this Moses, some of the translations will say, This fellow Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to him, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which they were in their ears which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, made a molded calf. Then they said, this is our God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is what happened. And of course, after that, early in the morning, they get up, they offer burnt offerings and everybody eats and drinks and is playing and doing all kinds of extremely wildful acts. But let me tell you the lessons that I learned from this five verses. Lesson number one. Lesson number one. One man can stop the spiritual degeneration of an entire community. That is the point. One man in a family one individual in a family can stop the spiritual degeneration of the entire family. If you are the only believer in your household, it is not by accident. You are the one who is actually constraining the hand of God against judgment in your family. In your office, the spiritual degeneration around you can stop because of you. Can you imagine the power of one man? One man? One woman? You know, God actually, even though we gather in numbers, God is actually interested in individuals. And therefore, the first book of the Bible is... Job, exactly. The very first book of the Bible is Job because God is looking all over the world and is looking for... Do you see that? One man who's blameless and upright and fears God and shuns evil. And because of this one man, he always offers of sacrifices. He will say, Baba, my children, even in their heart, they might have blasphemed against God. And he continually, continuously offers burnt offerings and sacrifices so that the hand of judgment will not come into the family. And God is looking in all the world for one man. And telling you honestly, this is what I believe in the, in the last days. Every one of us will be that one man. Do you want to, be, want to be that man who will stop the spiritual degeneration in your household, in your office place, in your workplace, in your university? You can be that one man or that one woman who will stop the spiritual degeneration of the entire nation sometimes. You see? One man can stop the spiritual degeneration of an entire... Can you imagine the absence of Moses? And you see... 
Rebellion breaking forth. Apostasy breaking forth in the entire tribe. Acts chapter 20. This is about Paul. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This is the last address to the efficient church. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep yours, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, who's going to come? Savage wolves will come. You know something? For three and a half years he was in Ephesus and this one man stopped all the wolves from spoiling the church. One man. One man. You know what that talks about? It talks about spiritual authority. That is spiritual authority. People, it is not that you have, you know, eloquence and gifts and talents. No, no, no. You are a person who has got a clear conscience with God. And because you have a clear conscience with God, you will fear no man. One man is is enough to stop the spiritual degeneration of the entire nation. I, I, I experienced this in my own lab, no? I wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it, how things used to happen. I used to have a bunch of my colleagues used to come together and start discussing. And suddenly, you know, some all kinds of talk going on. And the moment I open my, the door, I enter into the lab, shh, everybody, they look at me. Suddenly something happens. And it's not because I'm special, no. I'm more intelligent than them, no. Much, some of them are much more brilliant than I. You see? Do you want to be that one man? That is the first lesson I learned. I learned that one man can stop it in your own family, in your own working place, workplace and your own universities. Be that one man. Be a man of spiritual authority. Like we looked at Amos. Amos comes and preaches and all those people are getting worried. They said, please go and come here and preach, your, preach in your own country and prophesy. He said, what are you talking? I'm not a professional prophet like you. I'm not a professional. I was just a shepherd. I was a man who was taking care of sheep. I was a farmer and the Lord called me. Why? Because he found me faithful. I could see one man whose heart is toward God. That is the reason why the eyes of the Lord are to and fro to see if there is one man that I can stay his judgment. And does he find one? No. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30. See that one man. Even though we look, I mean, that is the reason why today God is speaking to individuals, individuals, even though we come collectively as a church, he is talking to us specifically. Do you want to be that one man? Do you want to be that one woman who will stay the hand of God? Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. And you know what salt is, right? What does salt do? It delays decay. It doesn't stop decay. In Okay. Uh, it only delays it. It only de- So he's saying you are the salt of the earth and if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So you are the salt. You can stay the hand of judgment in your community, in your place of work, whatever your place of influence is. That is the first lesson that I learned. And therefore it says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, do, not, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of iniquity or lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will, will be revealed. In other words, the last believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, when he is removed from this earth, you know what is going to happen? All hell literally is going to break loose on the earth. See. 
That's a, that's lesson number one. Lesson number two. How do I know that I have the characteristic of an apostate in my heart? How do we respond to God's delays? It is when Moses delayed. You see that? How do we respond to God's delays? Example, from our own spiritual ancestry. Okay. It's found in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she she said to Abraham, the Lord kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build my family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for, ah, significant, in the context of our church especially. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Immediate results. That's exactly what happens. You go out a step of God's timing, immediate results will come and you'll think, the blessing of God is upon my life. The blessing of God is upon my life. That's what she thinks. You see? No, remember Jacob? I brought this too. Your voice is like Jacob. You're feeling like Esau. How come you came so quick? The Lord gave me success. Oh, so quickly. The Lord gave me. I know that. No, I remember when I when we used to go to visa interviews. Fudge all our documents and go to American consulate or Canadian consulate, whatever consulate. Okay. 30 lakhs in the bank. No, my dad never, never had any of that, any that, kind of, that kind of money. Okay. And they all look at you. The CA will say, this fellow is a multimillionaire. He will appreciate all your wealth and you make you a karorpati. And your dad will look at the CA report, Haryam Baba, I'm a karorpati. And then you go to the, go to the, uh, uh visa interview. Stamp. Accepted. Then you will come to church. The Lord gave me success. Visa. I, I knew so many people who did that. Fudged all their documents, everything. They went to the visa, interview, got their visa, came to church and testified. The Lord gave them success. Because they couldn't wait for God's timing. Because they wanted to do it now. How do you respond to God's delays? Hmm. And then what happened to her? Hmm. When she knew, that is Hagar, that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And look at the classic response of Madam Sarai. Then Sarai said to Hebram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. My example, no, amazing. Why are we going through this problem? You are responsible. Who asked it? You asked. Now you got the problem, you are saying I am responsible. You see? I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Can you imagine? May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh boy. That's what happens in the families. You have a clear conscience with God, right? Conversations between husband and wife. See? You are the cause of this problem. Couldn't wait. Jumped in. Created an Ishmael. And the problem is, you don't see the results immediately. Your results will be amplified for thousands of generations, even till date. Because one day, Abraham did not wait, did not adjust himself to God's delays. 
created in Ishmael. And till date, they are a problem. How do you respond to God's delays? This is exactly what happened to Samuel, right? Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul, Saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 men were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of the Benjamin, the rest of the people he sent away. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba and the Philistines heard of it, then Saul blew the trumpet. That's exactly what Saul does. Somebody gets the credit, he blows the trumpet. It's what, we, it's what we call as plagiarism. Somebody else does the, all the hard work, you get it for yourself. And then what happens? Let the Hebrews hear that this is the work of Saul. And some of the Hebrews crossed over Jordan and what happens? You know, God lets the enemy come with their numbers and those people are like the sand of the seashore and all of them are trembling. All the Israelites go into the holes and they become reptiles for a few, few uh, and rodents for a few days. They are all hiding. And Saul is seeing all this. Some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. In other words, you know, remember the Gadites and the, and the, and the, and and some of the tribes, two and a half tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh, they had the, uh, the, the promised land on the other side of Jordan. They all ran to the other side of Jordan. Then he waited seven days. And all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. That was his problem. He always wanted exaltation. Quick exaltation. Don't wait for exaltation. And that's the reason why it says, exaltation doesn't come from the east, it does not come from the west. It comes from God. God's timing, you see. Then what happened? So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offerings. Now it happened as soon as he finished presenting the offering. Samuel came. And you know the story. See that? That is, how do you respond to God's delay? That is lesson number two. Lesson number three. How do I work in the absence of supervision? This is Matthew chapter 24, verse 45 onwards. Who then is a faithful and a wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food in the due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master when he comes, will find so doing. Okay? Then what happens? Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over, ruler over all his goods. But what happens? But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, you know what he's going to do to him? The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why should he just not directly throw him to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth? Why should he cut him into two? It's a question you need to ask. What is going on over here? Why should this fellow be cut into two? I'll tell you. This is my perception and understanding. In the Old Testament, when two parties made a covenant, you know what they did? They brought a few animals. Okay? They cut the animal into two. They had the terms of the covenant. They wrote it down in a piece of paper or whatever. They had witnesses. If they didn't have paper, they had witnesses. And they said they would cut a particular animal or a bull or a whatever. Uh, or, a, or a goat or something, they would cut it into two, 
put pour the blood on the on, on a particular place divide the two parts like this and each of them will walk in the middle of that dead pieces symbolizing that if any one of of us breaks the terms of the covenant this is exactly what will happen to us we will also be cut into two you know what god said you unfaithful servant in your unfaithfulness you broke my covenant this is exactly what i'm going to do i'm going to divide you into two and then i'm going to symbolizing when you actually disobey the terms of the covenant what will what happened to me is not what you're going to experience all through eternity i will cut him into two appoint him his portion with the hypocrites there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth you see god is very interested no how we respond and work in the absence of our bosses actually tells a lot about us you see this is philippians chapter 2 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with what with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure you see god is very interested therefore in how we respond to delays god is very interested therefore in how we work in the absence of supervision okay do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of christ he may be proud i may be proud that i did not run in vain or labor in vain you know what paul is saying i don't know how you are working but all of you one day will be standing on the judgment judgments before the judgment seat of christ and i will i will also be standing along with you that day when god looks at you he should say when paul was absent i saw how you worked how you behaved you were behaving just as if paul was there and you know what paul said thank god i'm so proud of them i did not run in vain do you want that so very interested as to how you work in the absence of supervision children all of you and therefore we need to learn from animals insects you know when you go, when you look at insects and when solomon talks about insects don't say we should become like them hard working like them no that is not the point look at what it says in proverbs chapter 6 verse 6 onwards go to the ant you sluggard consider worse and uh, her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler what does it what does it do she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest it doesn't mean that you should become like a like a ant hard working no that is not the point yes that could be the that the obvious message but the more important message is how do you work when nobody is watching you that is what you are then lesson number 4 everybody read that detect all your rats in your basement okay now let me tell you what this is okay this is uh, cs lewis in his book mere christianity if you want to know whether there are rats in your basement okay what how should you go open the door and say hello i'm coming and then you'll open the door with a big bang and thug thug i'm coming i'm coming i'm coming to see the rats 
you open the door and you open finally the base, uh, the, the door of the basement and you look and switch on the light. Will you find rats? No. And you say, no rats. No. Look at the words of C.S. Lewis. Okay, and This is C.S. Lewis in his book, The Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. Series of radio talks became a book. Surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of a man he is. Surely what pops out before the man has put time to put on a disguise is the truth. <laughs> Do you see that? In other words, before somebody comes, right? Somebody suddenly comes. <laughs> before you can do that, you know, to your desk or your table or your computer screen, etc. Hmm? Suddenly the door opens and you, you, you have to do control what? Control R? What is that? Command to, to, to collapse all your screens and act as if everything is okay. <laughs> no, no. Before you tie, you have time to put on a guise is the truth. And then he says, if there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. Okay? It's very obvious, no? But the suddenness does not create the rats. Does it create the rats? No. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of provocation does not make an, a man, make a man ill-tempered. It only shows me what an intempered man I am. C.S. Lewis. Okay. The rats are always there in the cellar. But if you go on shouting and noisily, they will take cover before you switch on the light. See, that is the reason why getting rid of all the secret sins in your life is so important for God. And I remember the story of this message by this uh, South African pastor. You know, the, the title of the message, it's, 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 on, it's on available online. It's in Zulu, uh, translated into English. The title of the message is, no, uh, uh, I think it's Erlos Tegner Signer or something. Yeah, er- Erlos Tegner, he knows him. Apparently, okay. This title of the message is The Curse of Pornography. Now he talks about, in the message he talks about this pastor uh, who's, you know, sup- supposed to be a very good pastor, comes and preaches very powerfully, has a reputation as a very godly, powerful preacher and a man of God. And his wife also has the same impression. So one day what, what and she, you know, he spends most of the nights in his office, in his office room, etc., and one day his wife uh, is, I mean, he's in the office and after she goes to bed and he's studying, that's what she thinks that he's doing. And uh, she says, you know what, I, I, my, my, my husband is praying and he's studying the word. I, sh- I want to make him a cup of tea and, you know, give to him. I don't want to disturb him. I want to ensure that he doesn't fall asleep and I want to strengthen his hands, etc. So she makes a cup of tea and she slowly tiptoes into her, into his office, slowly opens the door and slowly goes behind him to hand over the tea and suddenly she sees that man browsing something and that gives her a heart attack. Thug. She just collapses to the floor because this guy is browsing all kinds of pornographic material. As a pastor. See. What happens to that? I mean, that's, you're, you're embarrassed before your wife is something. You know, God in his mercy possibly allowed him to be embarrassed before his wife. Before he could be embarrassed before God. 
You see, that is a spirit of apostasy. You see, you're so concerned about your reputation before men, but you're not concerned about your reputation before God. That is the reason why God says, whenever you give, give secretly, whenever you pray, go to your room, close your doors, shut everything and pray in secret. Your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. That is how you pray. That is how you work. That is how you fast. That is how you do everything. You do it as unto God, as if God were watching you and nobody else. That is the spirit of of, of faithfulness. Every other characteristic is a spirit of apostasy. You have the characteristic of an apostate. Very important. So do you have rats in your cellar? How do you know that your children are behaving themselves when parents slowly come? You know, whenever the children are silent, Parents get worried. Right? Why are they so silent? They are silent for some reason. Because they know if mommy and papa come to hear these sounds, they are doing, they are going to stop. Slowly you enter into the room and then you find something's going on over there. It happens with children too. They have this in their heart to hide things from their parents. Do you have these days, today, do you have anything to hide before God? Ask yourself this question. Do you have anything to hide before God? If anybody else, if your wife comes to know, will you be embarrassed? If your pastor comes to know, will you be embarrassed? If your elders come to know, will you be embarrassed? If your co-workers come to know, will you be embarrassed? If your boss comes to know, will you be embarrassed? Will you be embarrassed? Are there rats in your basement? Very important. Are there rats? How do you work? See, this is so important for God. I've seen it even in the ministry. How people act or behave when the boss is around, supposedly, and when the boss is not around. Whom are you working for? Whom are you trying to please? That is the reason why Paul tells, you know, to the Galatian church, if I were to please men, I should not be a bond servant of Christ. I should not be. I should just quit the ministry and go somewhere else because I don't have the spirit of working as unto God and not as unto man. You see. So what do I do? What do I have to do therefore? I have to go before God every day of my life and ask him, Lord, is there any unrighteousness? Show it to me, Lord. Show it to me every day. Now, I always tell myself and I always tell people, I said, keep short accounts with God. If you messed up, okay, and you have to, and you're embarrassed to share it with somebody, the best thing you can do is write an email to God. And that's what I do. I have my drafts. So that one day, after I die, if you hack into my email and see all the drafts, you know all my secret sins. It doesn't matter. I already confessed it to God. That's what I do. I just go to the drafts column and I write an email, long email showing out and calling my sin the way it is. And it has saved me so much in my life. I go before God and say, Lord, this is what I did. This is what I did. This motive, Lord. This motive, Lord. This one, Lord. This one, Lord. This one. I remember, you know, when I wrote that one line in my my thesis, a lie. <laughs> it was a lie. I didn't test it. And then it went for thesis. And you know, that's, it's amazing how the examiner, God actually tells the examiner to look at that one line. In all the things that you write, he just zeroes in on that one line. What does that one line mean? Hari, you didn't see the rest of the thesis. This is only two lines maybe and one tabular column. I said something. And he came out to me and he said, Dr. Vijay. And you know something? God was telling me, Doctor, really? For two months, struggling. I said, Lord, what is this? What is this? What is this? Call it what it is. Call it cheating. 
call it lying. Nobody knows, but I know. Don't stand at the pearly gates with a PhD in your hand with a certificate. Say, Lord, let me in. He says, Baba, that is the biggest, biggest stumbling block in your life. Throw it into pieces and read to the garbage bin and then I'll like, allow you. You see? See, that's exactly what, how God zeroes in on, on one thing because, you know what? He wants to give spiritual authority to, into the hands of people. And how can He give spiritual authority in the hands of people whose conscience is not clear with God? How can He give? You know, the secret of Paul's ministry, there was this, that every time he had, he said, you know what, I make it my endeavor to keep my conscience clear with God and with man. And you know, when he walked, people trembled. He would used to go and talk to the kings and they all used to tremble. And one fellow, one fellow also wants to give him a bribe, every day would preach the same message and he would talk about self-control and of righteousness and of judgment. They used to fear and tremble. You know why? He was a prisoner in bonds, but authority. You know what he says? I am an ambassador in bonds. Ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? He's got diplomatic immunity. Nobody can arrest him. But he says, you know what? I am an ambassador of Christ and I can go and talk to the biggest rulers of this planet earth and nobody can touch me. No why? Because I have a, I'm a man under spiritual authority. Not because of anything of myself. Because I have a clear conscience with God and with man. All the rats in my basement. You know, you remember, right? In what context he says that? High priest comes and says something. Somebody slaps him. He says, you whitewashed something, something, something. And immediately somebody says, Hari, how come you call this high priest like this? Oh, high priest. I'm so sorry, brothers. It is written that you should not revile authority. Please forgive me. At that instant, he has a clear conscience. You know, such short accounts with God, instantaneous short accounts with God. Every rat in his basement has been cleared off. Do you have rats in your basement? My dear brothers and sisters, young brothers, young sisters, young children. How do you behave when nobody is watching you? Oh boy, how come, how, how much I can read, read this over and over again in my own life? Hmm. I like that. It is what? Mere Christianity. <laughs> it means this is ABCD of Christianity, Baba. Get rid of rats in your basement. Next, final lesson. Not in Exodus. Just go to a little, a different passage. Same words which are being used by another man. It's found in 1st Kings chapter 12. But we know this person as Jeroboam. Chapter 12 verse 26. You know this verse? Jeroboam said in his heart. Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of, temple of Jerusalem. And we know that, right? We remember the context of, of, of the sermon, fog in the pulpit. Sorry, mist in the pulpit, fog in the pew. The two messages, just keep that in mind. Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Jeroboam, the king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Jeroboam, Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel, made two cups of gold, and he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. And what does he say? Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Same words. Nothing different. What children of Israel said when they made golden calves and what Rehoboam, Jeroboam is saying when he made the same. What is this? How do I not become an apostate? Lesson number five. Deal with the spirit of insecurity. Security. 
This is what it, what Jeroboam said, no? If these people go, I will no longer be king, somebody else will be king. And security. You know, it's, it's, it happens in many places of work and also in churches. Insecure spirits. Somebody suddenly gets attention. Well, it's a test for all of us, actually. See? And you, and you will find in your life, in your workplace, 100% probability. I'll give you. You know what, what is a 100% probability? 100% probability of finding a guy who's much better than you. Okay? How much probability? 100% probability. Young guy who's more talented, more skilled, he comes to the office and suddenly he becomes the boss's blue-eyed boy or blue-eyed girl. Okay? Insecure. You know what happens? Suddenly people start, you know, the real things manifest, start manifesting in their hearts. I have to do, make this fellow look bad in the eyes of, eyes of the boss. I have to do something about this. I have to do something. It's an insecure spirit. Spirit of competition. You know, you can compare yourself with other believers to encourage yourself. You know, that's exactly what Paul also did. He told uh, the Corinthian church, you know those believers in Macedonia? They were poor, but the way they gave. Man, they gave not only out of their property, poverty, they gave much beyond their ability they gave. You also give like that. So some people should never compare. No, 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 no. Paul compared. He did comparisons. But those comparisons were only to exhort and encourage, not to make you look better, bad or worse. No, 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 no. That's not the point. He was telling them, you see guys, look at those people. Look at the heart that they have. You fellows are more blessed, more rich. Why are you stopping from giving to God? That's how we encourage people. That is what, that's what we do also in a church. When we do, just because people are comparing, don't say, don't compare me with somebody else. No, no, no. You know, it's good. Some, some other, some other person is more wholehearted than you. I want to be wholehearted like that. That's exactly what, you know, you look at the kings of Judah, you'll see this person fell away. He was not as wholehearted as David. That was God's benchmark. Then they didn't say, oh, why, why is he comparing me to David? No, no, no. That's not the point. He's saying, you just have to be wholehearted like David. David had all his flaws. But he was wholehearted. But, you know, there is something other than this is what we call as a spirit of insecurity. Become insecure. Be- thinking that the other person is more blessed than you. No. Why did he become insecure? I mean, I was trying to look at this. I mean, one of the things that I thought, you know, he got a chair, a position of leadership, and he wanted to hold on to that position of leadership at any cost. Any cost, I want to hold on to it. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Okay? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You know, this is how you kill the spirit of insecurity and competition. One of the things I always tell myself, if I do well, say that, I will be accepted. If I do well, I will be accepted. I keep on telling myself over and over and over again because I want to kill that spirit of insecurity inside of my heart. Because I know one day it will take me away from the Lord. 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now look at this. This is what it says. And this is in the ESV, uh, English Standard Bible. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, this is what we call as tight-fisted, no? no? We have two children in our in our home, two twins, boy and a girl. When they come out, how do they come? Like this. You put their hand, you put a finger like this, they'll hold on like that. And suddenly they just keep on holding, holding on to it and they never want to let go of it. That's the Adamic spirit in each one of us. We just want to grasp and hold on to our position. You know what God says? Christ, all the authority that God gave, Lord, loosely. Lose. Job, I don't want to hold on. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be. Now, that's a problem with many, many people, no? You see in the Bible, Saul, hold on to the chair. Hold on to the chair. Hold on to the chair. Uh, you know, test after test, failing, failing, now becomes jealous of David and he holds on to the chair. Now think about it, no? What happened to him? What if Saul would have said, Lord, you said the kingdom is gone. Take the kingdom, Lord. Take everything out. I don't want any of these things. I want to have a clear conscience with you. If you do not accept me, it doesn't matter if everybody else accepts me. It's not going to work. It's not going to really, really matter. You see that? How how we hold on to things of position and authority uh, as if it is ours? No. Hold it loosely. Loosely. What did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And what, did, and what, what does God do? Therefore, God exalted him. You see that? That is how. We go through this whole process not holding on. You know, this learn from today onwards. Lord, I don't want to hold on to anything else in my life except you. If you say you're disqualified, it doesn't matter what everybody else says. That is the reason why keeping short accounts with God is so important. Insecurity. Deal with insecurity and I know it. So many of us struggle with that. Yeah, talking to people, let's see that. Insecure about relationships. Insecure about jobs. Insecure about attention. They're like children. Grab the inten- attention of the children. That's exactly what child- children do, right? If I, two, you know, I have two, two children in my home. Emanuela, you're so cute. Immediately. Daddy, what about me? I'm not you. You don't love me. You don't love me the, like the way you love Emanuela. Who said that? Who said that? You know, insecure. That is not the way it is, you know. You know, don't grasp to things in your life. Learn this lesson. Say, Lord, I don't, I just don't want to hold on to anything. I don't want to hold on to anything. I just want to serve you. So five lessons I learned from this entire episode to see if I have the heart of an apostate. First thing I learned is this. One man is enough. One man can stop the spiritual degeneration in any of your office, you can stop it. You can be that one man. Second, how you respond to God's delays is so important to God. 
Third, how you work in the absence of leadership or, you know, the supervision is very important to him. Fourth, get rid of all the rats in your basement. Get rid of those rats. Fifth, Lord, insecurity, feelings of insecurity. I don't, don't want to hold on to anything, Lord. I want to hold on to you and you alone. You alone, oh Lord. You alone. It doesn't matter. If 100 people say negative about me, but if you say negative, I'm gone. I'm gone. Now, that is the reason why, you know, God could restore David. You know, why he could restore David? They were never insecure about his position. One day God told him, you are that man, you know what he did? He wrote a poem, a song. He went and told it to his choir members. This is the psalm. Okay. What is the title? Uh, this is a psalm when Nathan came to me and confronted me because I went and committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Heading. I don't know what the worship leader would have thought. What? Choneni Elohim. Have mercy upon me, O God. And till date, all of us sing that song. You sing the song? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Why? Because one man said, Lord, your this position, leadership, authority, oh, what is the what is the whole point of all this if I am disqualified in your sight? You see, whenever you grasp any other thing other than God, you know what's going to happen? You will become an apostate, an idolater. You, no one can satisfy you. you see, I, I mean, I was looking at, uh, I was listening to a sermon today in the morning about how, about uh, the potter making the clay. You know, potter makes the clay, you know what he does? He puts water in it and on that wheel he keeps it, uh, revolving it and then he applies pressure accordingly and slowly molds it and molds it and molds it and becomes a beautiful vase. But on the other hand, you know what idols do? They don't apply pressure like that. They keep on applying pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure and they finally crush you. Crush you, you're gone. You, you die under the weight of the idol. That's what, that's how he laughs, right? He tells in Isaiah, he says, you know what, look at these idols. You know what you should do? You should, the guy makes it with a beautiful gold and he puts it in a, in a, in a, uh, this thing and makes a nice carved image and he puts it on the wall and he takes nails and he hammers it and if he has to move from one place to the other, he has to hold that idol and he has to move. What a stupid thing. You have to carry your idol. On the other hand, I am the God who carries you. I am the God who carries you. And you carry that idol, you know what the idol is going to do? It's going to crush you. And every relationship, you know, you hold on to relationships like that, don't let go of those relationships and you become insecure, you destroy that person and you will destroy yourself because that person, that relationship gives you identity. You hold on to your job, your career and you just keep on saying, you know why you work and work and work, you know why? Because your identity comes from your career. And one day your career is not going to give you what you get what you want, it is going to destroy you. You'll be crushed. You'll be depressed. It's going to crush you. And it's never enough. It is never enough. Do you know that? But you know, somebody said, I have to become the best and I have to prove myself that I'm, that I am the best. You know, I have to become the best. That is what we call goat, right? Greatest of all time. Goat. Who's the greatest of all time? Tennis player. 
Uh, you say Federer, okay, you have your own opinion. But you know something? Everybody's eyes are on Rafa and Federer. With how many Grand Slams are they going to finish their career? And you know the pressure upon them? The, nothing is enough. 16 is not enough. 20 is not enough. And you'll know their heart. They'll say, oh, I love Rafa. I love, Rafa will say, I love Federer, etc., etc. They will come for, will come together for tournaments and everything. But deep down inside of their heart, I know exactly once, once what happened. This was in uh, 2018 uh, US Open. F- Federer versus Del Potro. Who lost? Federer lost. This is a semi-final. And at the interview, you know what he Federer said? Del Potro has more chances of beating Rafa than me. That's interesting. Del Potro has more chances of beating Rafa. That means somebody has to stop this fellow from getting the Grand Slam. I, if I can't stop it, let somebody else stop it. This is Federer. 20 Grand Slams and counting. Still not satisfied. He wants to be the goat at all cost. And if somebody else can destroy his career, I'll be it. Let it be like that way. It's you, you'll see their hearts coming out. You know why? Because their careers are so important to them. They'll, what what will they do? I, mean, I don't know when after Federer retires, what's going to happen to him. I think he's going to just go insane. He'll go crazy because he has he has he has achieved everything that he can that he has achieved. That idol has crushed him because it's insecurity, there's insecure feelings in their heart. Because they always want to be the best and they want to prove to the world that they are the best. Insecurity. You see? You know, are you insecure about anything? Jesus, you know what he said? These works you saw, <laughs> greater works than this you will all do. And that will be my joy. Have that attitude. That is how he said, I want to share this thing with you. You know what he said to the Laudation Church? Now I'm going to stop with this. He said, if you overcome, you will sit on my throne just as I overcame and sat on the Father's throne. He doesn't have a problem sharing his glory with any one of us. You know why? Because he holds on to things very loosely. He has no insecure feelings in his heart. That is how I know that I don't have the spirit of an apostate inside of my heart. Insecure. Deal with that, my dear brothers and sisters. Before the 10th year and say, Lord, 10th year, I want to delight in somebody else's success. (laughs) Do you have that attitude? I want to delight in somebody else's success. Shall we all pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, all of us have the spirit of apostasy in each, in in every one of us in different levels. Because we look not toward you, but we look to human approval, to achievements, Success according to worldly standards. And therefore, O oh Lord, we become insecure. And finally, if we don't get the things that we want, we give up on you and we fall away. Like what happened to Rehoboam, Jeroboam. And like what happened to the children of Israel. Like what happened to Saul. The insecure spirit. The spirit of idolatry. In each one of us, the spirit of apostasy. Father, enable us to recognize it in in each one of our hearts and deal with it with an iron fist. Every day of our lives, 
So that Lord, one day you will find, O oh Lord, in each one of us a pure, spotless bride ready for marriage with her husband. Thank you, Father. Father, even as we have come to the end of 10 years, O oh Lord, last ministry day of this 10th year, Father, we want to thank you. We want to acknowledge, Lord, that you have been faithful in spite of all our unfaithfulness. You came through. You blessed us. You kept us all these years. I pray, Father, that, Lord, even this year, that you would, Lord, go ahead of us, straight in crooked paths for us, and what you have for us, let us all be prepared, O Lord, to fit in to our places in your kingdom and to fulfill our calling in your kingdom. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.